You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. This week's episode is with Susan of The Muddy Dog. I have loved Susan's products for years. She creates these beautiful plates that you can actually put in the microwave and dishwasher, but they're more like a plastic material so they don't break. They're great with kids or even if you're clumsy, um, and they look beautiful. They have these great designs and prints on them um, for every sort of occasion. Plus, she does a lot of other things too there at The Muddy Dog, so we're going to talk all about that um, and how it came to be. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that if you are an influencer or a brand and want to learn more about pitching, then look at my Pitch Peak Profit course on peakedpr.com where you can learn how to pitch your brand to influencers for collaborations. Or if you're an influencer, you can learn how to pitch uh, your blog and your Instagram to brands to monetize what you're doing. So check that out at peakedpr.com. Dot com. That's P-I-Q-U-E-D-P-R.com. And now let's get into the interview. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Well, my name is Susan Dench, and my company is called The Muddy Dog. And anyone who uh, has lived in New England and has dogs understands the muddy dog part, especially in the spring. Um, we're up here in Portland, Maine, and um, we just are always inspired by our surroundings. It's a great place to be. We love it up here. And um, that's sort of what we do and where we are. I love the name and I totally get a muddy dog. I have two Jack Russells, as you know, and especially right now, I feel like every time I let them in, I have to wipe their paws off because they're covered in mud somehow. (laughs) And and for some reason, they always are able to find those mud puddles too, aren't they? But we love them anyway. So I thought the name would be most appropriate. (laughs) It's adorable. So tell me about growing up. Um, Did you grow up in New England? Were you always entrepreneurial or like into design and creativity? Like what was your childhood like? Um, actually, I grew up in England, so I have dual citizenship. I started off with a, a beautiful British accent, which was quickly lost when we came over here. So I came over here as a child, and um, we lived in New York. And then I actually graduated from high school up in Maine, but did not return up here until I got married to my husband. And he had lived here and was a lawyer up here, so we couldn't move um, because his business was here. So I moved back to Maine and have loved it ever since. It's been wonderful. Oh my gosh, I had no idea that you were from England. You have no, like, slight accent right now, I feel like. (laughs) I don't. You know, when you're a child, you lose it really quickly. And uh, we actually, though, have a daughter who went to art school in London, and she just got married um, there. She married a Brit, so she's never coming home, and they now live in Norfolk. And we were there for her wedding in September. So we always have a place to go back to. Our family is there. And um, and I love I love the sensibility of British design as well. So it always feels like going back home when I'm there, but I'm also home here. I love that. That's so fun. So when it came time um, for college, where and what did you end up studying? 
Well, I wanted to study interior design because you asked about design and I've always loved design, but um, I was the daughter of a very practical engineer and he decided that I was going to love physical therapy. So, so I ended up going to school at Northeastern University for physical therapy because they have an excellent program there. But after a couple of years, I really want to get into marketing. So I um, transferred into marketing and that's where I stayed for a long time. I worked for companies such as uh, GE. I worked for HP. And in fact, one of my most fun jobs was um, working for HP. I was in the medical products area. And um, I worked mostly with defibrillators, the shock boxes. And um, I was the director of um, uh international training, which was one of my most fun experiences ever. I got to go all over the world seeing how people, uh, how healthcare is done in other countries and working with other sales reps. And I learned a ton and I had a lot of fun. It was just a wonderful job. But I also find that the tools that I learned back then, I actually have carried forward into the muddy dog as well. So, um, so I've had really great training. And um, so the Northeastern University was wonderful. And then all the rest of my training really has come from my, my um, professional experiences. Wow, that sounds amazing to do all that travel and even just to work for such a, a large and reputable company like GE. So tell me about some of those um, skills that you mentioned that you learned there. Like what would you say is some of those, those skills that you use today and or, you know, lifelong skills even? Well, I think some of the things that you learn, first of all, I went through when I started with GE, it's my first job out of college, and I was in sales. And so they give you a really great sales program. So you understand more about putting yourself in the customer's shoes and, and really how the sales process works. And um, from HP, I was in sales also before I got into marketing. Um, and from there, you learned about, you know, um, how you really need to have processes. So for me as a creative, it's really hard for me to have a lot of processes in place because I'm sort of all over the place. I always have to make myself focus as my husband is always telling me, focus, focus, Um, because it's really hard because your brain is in a million different places. But with HP, uh, the one thing that you find when you're working with an engineering-based company is that you have to have processes in place. And I went to a startup company, a venture-funded startup company from HP, and those, those um, processes were not in place. And you really see the chaos of a company that doesn't have them. So that's really made me for my business, I want to make sure that all the, the foundations are in place. So I have, um, I've been working a lot on software to make sure that I've got a really good foundation for software as we get into more into wholesale as well. So we've got that we've got really good financial uh, systems set up. So, so to me, the biggest thing that I learned apart from all the, the skill sets and stuff is also the importance of really having a foundation upon which to build. Because if you don't have that, it's really hard. It's hard for your bookkeeper to go back and look at things. It's really hard to build on something if you don't have a solid foundation. That's so smart. I feel like a lot of people, like you said, in this industry in creative and design, they don't think about those things until later. And it is so much harder to go back um, or they think about it when they have to bring on their first hire. And it's like, okay, now you have to start sort of go back and figure out how you do everything and lay it out. Um, That way it can be replicated or um, you have these processes so that it runs smoothly, even without you looking at everything all the time. Yeah, oh, it's so true. And, and I spent a lot of years here doing uh, business uh, mentoring through some of the areas that we have in, um, in Maine. And that was one of the things that we found that um, people, for instance, 
um, especially interior designers. I was actually the co-chair of our designer show house up here for the symphony um, some years ago. And what we found was that um, either through the mentoring or through this thing, through the um, show house, it was the same sort of thing. People wanted to, they wanted to be creative. They want to design beautiful rooms or they wanted to uh, create new software, whatever it was, the, the product that they were developing, but they did not want to do the basics. They didn't want to do selling. To them, selling was a dirty word, but it's the lifeblood of all business. So it's really interesting to see. I, I understand that those aren't the fun things necessarily, but they are necessities for a business. And if you want it to be a business rather than a hobby, you really have to make sure these things are in place. Definitely. And I think even if you're hiring someone to do those aspects, you need to know a little bit about it in general uh, to make sure it's running smoothly and just to be knowledgeable with your business, right? Well, yeah. And your bank is going to ask you that when you go into your bank and you ask for a loan or a line of credit or whatnot, they're going to want to see those things. So it's really, you know, I guess that's for everybody really has to decide. Do you want it to be a business? Is it a lifestyle business? Is this a business that you're going to build and sell? What kind of business do you want? And that's the great freedom really about being an entrepreneur, I think, is that, you know, do you have the freedom to travel? Is that what you want? You know, you just really get to define what you want your business to look like and how you want to be associated with your your business and what you want that business to be. There's there's so much freedom in there, but um, but in that freedom, again, I always get back to you've got to have that foundation in place to start with. Yeah, for sure. So now let's talk about the muddy dog. Like, where did this idea come from, and when did you decide to start it? Then. Well, I had um, written a book a while back. I used to do marketing consulting, and I had a book called Connect Working, The Savvy Woman's Guide to Turning Small Talk into Big Business. But what I found was, again, you know, people with the with the sales thing and, and whatnot, people were much more comfortable um, talking to people through their devices and so on instead of actually having those face-to-face conversations because people are afraid of rejection, which is a very human thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but one thing that I found is that I really believe in digital detox. Um, I have wonderful friends and um, we, we've been really blessed with this amazing circle of friends. And I've got friends that I've had for, you know, years, 40 years. And the one thing that that takes is an investment in time and face-to-face communication. And so to do that, I started thinking about this. Okay, well, what, what do people really need? What will get them out there and get them talking to each other? So I had had a, um, a business that I created, um, Craft Vinyl and so on. And I was doing that and I thought, well, that's great because that gets people crafting, working with their hands off their devices, but it really wasn't enough. And I I wanted to be more creative than that. So I started thinking about, okay, well, this is the customer. I'm really big into customer personas. Who is my customer? What is it that they do on a day-to-day basis that, and what products do they need to help them be, um, you know, have a have a beautiful life? And so I started thinking about some designs I could make, what kind of things. Um, and you are a grand millennial because you love beautiful traditional design <laughs> and you're the right age frame. So, you know, uh, you really are my customer, Patricia. So I started thinking about, OK, what would my customer, what is her life? What would what would help her have developed? Uh, relationships where she would have one-on-one communication and she would be able to really enjoy some great design. So I came up with uh, the dinnerware um, cornhole boards of all things. Those are huge, but they're such a great way to get people talking because they're doing something that's fun. And at the same time, they're not looking at their devices. So that's really how the muddy dog came into play. I love that. And that's so smart because when you entertain, you are, you know, one-on-one with people or a group of people, let's say, and you're just really enjoying conversation and being in the moment. So I love how you created products to be able to do that. But also I think 
within your products, there's a conversation, like your designs are so fun and those could strike up a conversation, you know, all in themselves. Yeah, they do. I, you, for instance, we have um, one of our most popular designs is a dog. We have dogs on there and we have almost 100 breeds. People love those. They love to give those for gifts because who doesn't love something to do with their dogs? We <laughs> love our dogs. So uh, so they are. So that's why we have a lot of different designs um, because the people really do give them as gifts and they find something in there that speaks to the recipient and they purchase it for that or they purchase it for themselves. So for instance, the Kentucky Derby is coming up. We do a lot of designs. Um, sort of equestrian designs. And people love that because it speaks to what they're doing. They're entertaining. They're having a fun time. And we get to be part of that, which I love. Definitely. Now, so going back to launching the business, um, you had mentioned that you had a a creative business before that, but it was slightly different. So when it came time, once you had this idea, um, how did you like get it started. I think one of the biggest things is people always have an idea, but actually doing something with it. So basically finding your manufacturers, like figuring out, you know, the process that we talked about earlier. Tell me some of those steps to going from idea to like now having a website and products. Yeah, well, the first thing, again, as I said, I'm, I'm a huge per, a believer in um, customer personas. Mm-hmm. And basically what that is, is that I'm, I'm a very visual person. Mm-hmm. I'm a visual learner. So if I take a picture of a person that I think is my customer, so I might put a picture of Patricia up there and I say, <laughs> okay, well, she loves this. She loves that. She loves her dog. She loves to travel. She's well-read, well-educated, um, and so on. And you start getting a picture of your customer. That's the first thing I always start with. So a picture of my customer, then you think, okay, what does my customer need? And those are products. So I say, okay, dinnerware. Well, I don't want to be the person actually making those things because a lot of people are much better at me than making things. And if I do that, it also means I need to carry an inventory. So I look for um, places that I can work with and I partner with them. I don't look at them as manufacturers. I look at them as manufacturing partners. There's a big difference. I always want to partner with people. And and again, what does that mean? That means building a relationship with them. Um, So it's a win-win win for them and for me. So the first thing we came out with was dinnerware. And I didn't want to have um, cheap melamine dinnerware that's made in China because I there is a lot of problems with that. Um, you're really dealing with a lot of competition in that regard because it's melamine, it's very inexpensive, and again, it's imported. And that was one of the other values that we had was we wanted all of our things to be made in the U.S. So after I got the customer personas together and decided where I wanted to sort of enter into um, the market, I decided that dinnerware was going to be the first thing and it was not going to be melamine. So then you get down to, okay, do you want that to be a China or plastic? And I thought, well... I, you know, we have a very, very compacted outdoor dining season here in Maine, but we do have one. Um, so I thought I want to do something that will be outside, but I want it to be different. And I came across a manufacturer for dinnerware, which is a patented plastic, which you can, we call it heat safe. Um, you can actually put it in the oven, you can put it in the microwave and so on, which melamine you cannot do for that. Melamine, if you heat it up, it's actually made of formaldehyde. So when you heat from out, yeah, I know, no one knows this stuff, but uh, there's a bit of an education involved in our products. But um, but when you heat melamine up, because it's made of formaldehyde, when it heats, the formaldehyde actually leaches into the food on the plate. 
That's why they tell you never put it in the microwave because yeah. it's very dangerous and it heats up and so on. So this is actually certified food safe. It was developed originally for the airlines when they used to serve hot meals and they would put um, a, a tray into the microwave or the oven and they needed something safe for the flight attendants. So when they started throwing bags of peanuts at you instead, they mothballed this plastic and someone from the printing industry picked it up the picked up the patent and um, figured out a way to print on it. So we work with them to develop products um, and they drop ship for us, which means we're able to um, carry a wide breadth of product uh, design, but we don't have to carry any inventory. So for us, that was really important as well. So as we got we got them established and then we moved on with uh, cornhole boards and it takes us a long time to find um manufacturing partners because we want to make sure that they want to be a partner with us and not just another customer and that we have a really, really, really high quality product. And so the cornhole boards are particularly um, popular for weddings and housewarming gifts. And they look like pieces of finished furniture. They're absolutely beautiful. And again, made in the US. So so really, I my advice is really figure out who your customer is and then figure out what they need and then figure out, do you want to be the one making it or do you want to have someone making it? And if you want to have somebody making it, then you need to go out and make sure that you get really reliable, great partners to work with you who want your business to be successful just as you want it to be successful. Then it becomes a win-win situation. Wow, that I feel like was packed with so many useful nuggets for anyone listening. Even I'm just like, wow, that's like such a good point. And I just learned so much. And even if I knew some of these things, just putting them back into my brain is amazing. So that, that was great. Um, and I love how strategic you were about this and uh, making sure the product was great. And I love that you mentioned um, that you don't want to just have a manufacturer. You want them to be a partner with a business, a manufacturer partner, which I think is important. And there is a difference, like you said. So I like that you called that out. Um, okay. So you have these great products. Now you have your business, um, your website up and running, you have all these processes going. So now tell me a little bit about marketing. Like how have you gotten the word out? What's been really useful? Okay, so this is the part where we get to the um, cobbler's children who have no ch have no shoes. So I'm a marketing person and I stink at marketing on this stuff because I'm so busy with all the other things. Isn't that terrible? So, um, yeah, I know. It's it's just, it's pathetic. So I need to hire more of that out. And that that's actually one of the other things that I would say is hire out those things that you can't do. I am really, really bad at keeping books. I have a, an amazing bookkeeper who does that for me. So hire out the things that you cannot do. Um, so for me, I need need to hire out marketing people because that's not something I do. So to keep up my website and I have an Etsy shop and, and the website and um, actually for us. Um, so I would say word of mouth is probably our strongest marketing tool right now because I because I just haven't done as much as I should. I should be calling magazines. I should be doing all sorts of other things. But from the very first day, we had people asking if we could be selling in their stores. Yeah. And so um, so we said no, because we really our our pricing model was not set up for that at all. And after a year, I said, you know what, I think that there's a way I can figure out to make this work. And we did. And so about 70% of our business right now is wholesale, and it's actually becoming more and more. And I would say our biggest marketing tool really has been word of mouth. And um, we also do things for in within the wholesale um, 
area because we were just talking about how our dinnerware, for instance, needs some education because people see a, a you know a platter for fifty eight dollars and they think why is that fifty eight dollars when I've seen a, a melamine one for ten dollars? There's a lot of technology that goes into our product and that's why it's expensive um, and a lot of very expensive materials. So we need to educate people on that. So we've actually developed um, little five by seven laminated shelf talkers that go into the shop. So um, and we've also developed a training program. Well, I wouldn't say a training program, but a training um a piece for the people that work in the shop so they can actually go over and do our marketing and sales for us. So if somebody sees a display, a display of our products, they will actually have a um, shelf talker there that they can actually read about the product or the people in the shop are actually educated on it so they can go over and talk to them as well. So that's really marketing at the very, you know, granular, very granular level. You're actually sell, selling and marketing right to somebody in the, on the, um, you know, on the storefront. So I would say those are really some of the bigger marketing things that we've done. Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of times people forget about um, the wholesale aspect and being in stores, but that's still so important these days. I think uh, we sort of realized that, with COVID, you know, people were creating websites and realized that was important, but then also that people want to support local. And um, I saw a lot of people, you know, calling their local stores and ordering things, um, even when the stores weren't open during COVID. So I think that's a great, you know, big marketing part um, are those wholesale stores and those relationships, which is funny because I saw some of your plates um, at a local store here in Wilmington, Delaware, and then even um, in Aiken, South Carolina, where my family has a house. So I've seen your your plates all over, honestly. So it's a great form of marketing. I didn't know you were in Aiken that you had a family house down there. Yeah, my uh, parents, <laughs> they, they just built a, um, a farm and things down there. So my mom's side of the family lives down there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Good for yeah. you. Yeah, we're in fact, that's how we get a lot of our retailers. They actually, um, they see us in another store. They're on Nantucket, they're wherever. And um, and they call us and they say, well, we saw this here. Can you sell to us as well? So that's the wholesale side has been really interesting. And, you know, I, I guess I'm also sensitive to the fact that um, when I was in sales, um, especially for HP, I was actually the first salesperson they'd ever brought into the um, marketing area, which is kind of funny because when you're you're the feet on the street, you actually see what's going on at the ground level rather than being in sort of the, you know, quote unquote, the ivory tower. So I love getting feedback from the people that we have in the stores because they really see what's going on and they can say, you know, this design is a winner, this one not so much, or have you thought about doing this? And we always ask for their feedback because they're the ones that are really really seeing what's going on out there. And I think it's really great for us to, we, you know, we have very thick skin. So if we're, if we're not, if we're doing something that's not working, I'm happy to change things to accommodate them because they really see what's important out there. So we're very fortunate in that regard that they feel very open and, um, and we ask all the time, what can we be doing to be better? And yeah. I think they appreciate that as well. Definitely. That's great advice. Um, now, in terms of your business, The Muddy Dog, what would you say has been your greatest success or something you're really proud of? Like, is it a certain store that picked you up? Is it, you know, a certain customer um, review reaching out to you saying that how much they love the product? Um, or maybe it's like this design you've had in your head for so long and then you were finally able to make it. Like, what are you really proud of with the business? 
Well, I'd say I've got I've got two things off the top of my head that come to mind. Um, the first one is when brides send us pictures of the um, how they've used our cornhole boards oh. at their wedding. Uh, nothing makes me happier because it's such a special day. And to know that we are part of their special day when we've designed a cornhole board for them. Oh, my gosh. I just love that when they send us the pictures and tell us how much that meant to them. That to me, that's that's beyond words. I just absolutely love that. Um, and the other thing I would say is we have an amazing customer, uh, Jennifer Morrison at uh, Ginny Gordon's in Moorhead City, North Carolina. And she is just, she's an amazing person and she does a great job with her, with her store, with her staff. They're educated on all their products. And unbeknownst to me, she, she liked our products so much that she took them down to the gift show in January and showed them to her favorite uh, manufacturer's reps and said, you have got to be carrying this stuff. And I, and I, the next thing I know, I got a phone call from them saying, can we carry your stuff, a manufacturing rep company? So I, that was such a compliment to us. So yeah, it was so cool. I had absolutely no idea she was going to do that. And, um, and they were all excited about it. So now we have a, um, a manufacturer rep, our manufacturer's rep company. They are wonderful people and um, they are going to be covering the Southeast for us. So, um, so we're dipping our toe into that water as well, but that was absolutely unexpected, but absolutely delightful. And, and I'll tell you one thing it did do was it compressed a time frame for us about, we were talking about foundations and software. It really compressed our time frame because all of a sudden it became very real that we had to work with manufacturer's reps. We have a lot you know, they have very great needs and we had to make sure we had a catalog and we had the right software in place and so on. So we're still working on some of that stuff, but, but it's, it's made us a better company. Um, but I, I will always be very grateful for, uh, to Jennifer for doing that. That is so kind. That's, that's a great story. Now on the flip side to that, what would you say your greatest challenge has been? Like, I know you mentioned that you hire out for bookkeeping, for example, is that the greatest challenge? Like that sort of thing that isn't necessarily your strong suit or maybe something you don't enjoy? Um, I, you know, the biggest challenge to me right now has been, um, you know, there's lots of opportunities you want to take care you want to, you want to go to all the opportunities. So personally, my personal um, bugaboo is focus. I'm just awful at focusing. And I know I have to do that. And I try every day. I even have a little mug that says focus. So I try, <laughs> I try to make sure I do that. Um, but but I'll tell, one of the biggest frustrations to me has been, um, we talked about the software as foundations. And I have talked to many of these people that, um, that run these software companies, because they make it so hard for people. Because every time I say, well, why don't you do it this way? They go, well, just have your people do it. And I want to say, I am the person. <laughs> Come on. So so that really, to me, has been the most difficult. I have spent hours and hours and hours on just learning new softwares. I'm tired of learning new softwares. I want someone to make things really easy. Um, you know, so there, there are some soft, like Etsy or Fair or some of those people. They have very, very easy to use softwares. But once you get into more sophisticated systems, they're not so easy to use anymore. They're made by software engineers for software engineers. <laughs> and I hate that they do that. And I have been you know, I take time out of my busy day to tell them how I think they could make this easier. I don't know if it falls on deaf ears or not, but um, but that's actually that's been the most difficult a challenge for us in our entire business, believe it or not. Yeah, I can see that. Um, now you have so many designs, like how many designs do you have on your website in terms of like prints and patterns? I feel like there's a ton. There are a ton. I don't know. I haven't counted it. I know we have about 1,200 products in our product catalog, but that's that's trays and dinnerware oh and, and different SKUs. So I'm I'm guessing we probably have about um, 
300 designs probably. So where do you get inspiration from for new designs and new prints? Like what inspires you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by so many different things. First of all, we always say that we have um, spirited goods inspired by the coasts, the cottages and cabins of New England. And that's really true. We are just so blessed to live in this place that is just constant inspiration. I can go take my kayak down to, you know, we, we live on the water. So I can take my kayak down to Casco Bay and I go around and I, I see lobster bo- boats out there or I see kayak or sailboats or, you know, um, and, and because it's New England, we have very traditional wear. You know, it's I know we talk about, you know, preppy and so on. I call it Ivy style, but we're all about Ivy style up here. And we're also a very creative place. So it's just everywhere you turn, there's inspiration here. Um, we have when we say cottages in this neck of the woods too, it could mean a cottage, um, you know, like a, a, ham, a, a hunting camp, but we usually call those camps. The cottages up here are more like sort of the Newport sort of cottages. They're really large and they're beautifully <laughs> decorated, but they're they're hugely inspirational. You go through and you see a beautiful chinoiserie wallpaper, um, which we actually have in our house as well. You know, those kind of things really inspire you too. So, um, so I would say it's really um, the surroundings. Um, I read a lot of um, shelter magazines, which I absolutely love. You get inspiration from those as well. So really inspiration. When you open your heart and your eyes up, you see so many things out there. Um, You know, you see a cute dog and you think, you know, that could make a really cute pattern doing such and such. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the way your brain, your your brain works the same way. I know. So (laughs) you just just start thinking of these things and then thinking, how how can I work that into something that would be saleable? Because you you, there's lots of things you can think about, but if they're not going to sell, it's not really worth your your time making a pattern out of it. So, so really, it's, it's really our, our surroundings. I love that. There's a New England so pretty. So there's lots of inspiration there for sure. Now you mentioned um, Ivy style, I think you called it. So I always ask everyone on the podcast, what does preppy mean to you? So describe preppy to me how you would describe it. Well, to me, it's it's someone being comfortable in their own skin. Um, it's traditional, it's timeless. And um, I, I look at my, my husband, I'm, I'm married to a Harvard man, you always tell a Harvard man, and he wears the same khakis, the same loafers, the same button downs, I can look at pictures of him in college, and I look at pictures of him now, and the, he has the exact same outfit on. It's, you know, it's, it's traditional, it's timeless. And, and I, I, to me, that's what, and I, I don't really call it preppy as more, as more of, I call it Ivy style, because I really do think it's, you know, it's, it's a style. It's a certain, when I, when I hear Ivy style, a certain person, a certain lifestyle comes to, comes to mind. And, you know, Ralph, Ralph Lauren once said, I don't sell dresses, I sell dreams. Yes. And he was very aspirational. And I think that's what, um, you know, that's really what, um, Ivy style or preppy is really all about it's it's aspirational but it's also um it's a lifestyle and it and when i say comfortable in your own skin it's it's not something that you it's something that just feels like you know you don't even think about it it's just what you do and who you are yeah and i think you know tying in ralph lauren's quote and then what you're saying it's almost like believing in yourself too oh good so, point yeah you know exactly. yeah. yeah you're not someone else you're you you Yeah. So now who would your dream customer be? Like if you could pick a celebrity or like a huge influencer or maybe a royal or even it could be someone that, you know, has passed and no longer with us, but an icon, like who do you think would be like such an amazing customer or just epitomizes your brand? Ooh, good question. Um, Well, honestly, I have my dream customers. 
my poor husband, he listens to this all the time. When I get off the phone, I have the best customers in the entire world because I do, whether they're a retail customer or whether they're a wholesale customer, my customers are so nice. They're so kind. They're so much fun. I have great conversations. I've met so many wonderful people. So to be honest, I'm sure that, you know, I'd love to have the, um, the Duchess of Cambridge. Oh yeah. my gosh, that would be, I can just see it now. Couldn't you see it in Windsor? Yeah. If they've got a cornhole board set up or something. I can totally see that. So um, in fact, we, we actually sent some over to our daughter's wedding in Norfolk in, um, in September. So, um, so that would, she would probably be my dream customer, honestly, but, um, but, on, but really I have my dream customers now. I love the customers that I have. I, it doesn't mean I would I would love to do a partnership with, say, um, I, I can see a lot of places like um, a, a Vineyard Vines, for instance. Yeah. I could see partnering with them. I think they'd be a wonderful partner. So a brand yeah. that has the same sort of sensibility and the same kind of customer, I think would be um, they would be wonderful to work with. As, again, as partners, uh, customers, yes, but partners more. Definitely. I could see a great partnership with you and Vineyard Vines. So now what is next for you? Are there any sneak peeks that you're working on that you can let people know, like maybe any new prints or patterns or, um, I don't know, new styles, anything like that? Well, we're launching um, nautical charts. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So we, um, we will be able to do any, any, uh, area that you have that needs a nautical chart. We're just starting to get those out to the um, the shops now. But um, we've had so many people ask us about that because, you know, that's obviously that's a very nautical thing. It's a very coastal thing. And um, anyway, so we're putting those on our products now, including on cornhole boards, which is going to be a lot of fun. So we're doing that. And then the other thing we have coming up is that we just um, actually made an investment in a business here in Maine um, in a candle business because we want to get in the candle business. Um, we've had a lot of people ask us about candles. And again, we haven't been able to find someone who wants to do exactly what we want to do. So we invested in a candle company and we will be launching candles probably in the next four to six weeks, which we're really, really excited about. That's super exciting. I feel like it goes perfectly with the lifestyle. So exactly and the and really it's going to be um again all the glassware is made in the usa we use um soy wax made with um soybeans from american farmers it's going to be made here in maine the uh fragrances are manufactured in the u.s as well and uh the labels are made in the u.s um we'll we'll be printing all our own labels but the substrate everything again that's really important to us made in the usa so everything about this candle will be made in the u.s and it will also be a reusable glass that you can use to um, have your gin and tonic in after the candle is done. So, um, so we're trying to make it sustainable as well in that regard. So um, anyway, so we're very excited about that. And as I said, it should be about four to six weeks and those will be launched as well. Very cool. That's super exciting. I'll look out for those. Now, my last question is, where can people find you? Let them know your website URL, your social media handle. Um, that way they can follow along and they can buy your amazing products. Oh, thank you, Patricia. Yeah, so our website is the muddy dog, themuddydog.com. And our social media handle is the muddy dog co, co, the muddy dog co. And um, you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and um, we'd love to see you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Susan. This was so fun learning more about you and your business. Oh, thank you, Patricia. What a lot of fun. And good luck to you. You're wonderful at what you do. And um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. 
please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the preppy podcast on social media. 